But there comes a time when enough time has passed that you have to decide whether a thing is what it proposes to be. And here in year eight, enough time has passed for us to say objectively whether Francis is the successor of St. Peter. That is, if there is evidence that he participates in the Petrine ministry. Welcome back in to Talking Catholic with David O'Gray. I would like to think that you guys and gals know me by now. That I'm not the conspiracy anti-Vatican II, anti-Pope guy. Of all the Catholics that you watch often on YouTube that you will call conservative or traditional. Not, not traditional necessarily in a Latin liturgical preface, but traditional in not playing with the dogma or toying with heterodoxy. But I think of that flavor of people that you listen to and read, I'm probably one of the most measured and balanced ones, right? I hope so, because I've tried to represent to you exactly who I am in real life. I've made no compromises just to get more subscribers, and I've tried to be true to my primary mission, which is to share with you the meaning and mystery of the liturgy. I think over the years, the worst thing I've ever called Pope Francis is a Masonic ally. And granted, one of the worst things you can call a Catholic, aside from being a Freemason, is being a Masonic ally. But I've never called him the anti-Pope or the false Pope or the Antichrist. And I even call him Pope. And I think that calling him Bergoglio in the pejorative sense is childish. Childish Pope name-shaming. And for the same reasons that I call John uh, the Twelfth, Benedict the the Fourth, Leo the Tenth, and every other scoundrel to wear red shoes, Pope, then I'm okay with calling Francis Pope. But there comes a time when enough time has passed that you have to decide whether a thing is what it proposes to be. And here in year eight, enough time has passed for us to say objectively whether Francis is the successor of St. Peter. That is, if there is evidence that he participates in the Petrine ministry, the ministry that Christ Jesus established here on earth through Peter, the first pope. Now, the philosopher Aristotle had a very basic scientific method. He believed that over time, things tell you what they are. That if you observe a thing long enough, that thing will tell you what it is and what its purpose is. Not because you willed it to, but simply because um, all creative things are self-revealing. Um, they themselves want to be revealed. They want to be discovered, right? So creative things um, uh, were created to be known. As Christians, we know this about God. God desires for us to know him so that we might serve him and be happy with him in this life and in the next. And although he is the creator, not the created, his nature of love is self-revealing. God cannot hide his love and God can be known simply by observing his activities. And by his activities, we have evidence of him, evidence of his love and goodness. And everything that God created shares the same principle. And we can discover things he created by observing their activities that are ordered to the good. Because God is all good. And we, he created us in his image and likeness. So by observing a person long enough, that person will tell you who they are. And they'll tell you their mission. 
through their activities. Right? Their activities are evidence of who they are and what they're created for. For example, here's an apple tree in my backyard. Right? But how would I know this is an apple tree? Well, if I observe it long enough, and if I had other trees to compare it to, I might be able to come up with some set of indicators that will allow me to test it. For example, does it bloom in the early spring? Does it produce a particular kind of fruit? Does the fruit have a particular taste? That And uh, does it have a seed that I can plant that will produce another tree like it? So all these are tests. All these tests are objective. And I should be able to answer um, these tests in the affirmative or else... It may not be an apple tree. And the same holds true for the Petri ministry. But let me pause for a moment here and make some distinctions. Because I think the automatic assumption is that the person who is elected Pope by the cardinal electors is thereby the successor of Peter. I won't deny that that is a reasonable belief that we ought to have. But at the same time, we must acknowledge that for the past 2,000 years, there were times when a seated Peter was vacant. Therefore, there are and have been times when the world was, was without the successor Peter. We also know that prior to the promulgation of Nomini Domini in 1059, when electing the Pope through a conclave of cardinal electors became a standard, Popes were appointed by monarchs or confirmed by monarchs after the election. Popes were removed, killed, disposed, forced to resign, or abdicated by monarchs. Sometimes there are more than one pope, sometimes more than two. So if a person is a successor of Peter, is that something they are even able to resign from or abdicate from? We don't know, really. So we've had a history of messy papacies where we cannot know for certain whether each person who was appointed, elected, or confirmed was truly operating in the ministry of Peter. Only God knows for certain who the successor of Peter is. So, for the scientific method of discovery, I'm going to distinguish between a duly elected, appointed, or confirmed Pope that humans have determined versus the Petri ministry, which is of divine origin, without assuming that there's always some sort of hypostatic union of the two. Without a, always assuming there's always a hypostatic union, too. And that's something we can argue later. Now, what are those objective standards by which we can determine whether Francis, a duly elected pope, of whom none of the cardinal electors have recanted their vote or denied the legitimacy of the conclave. What are those objective standards by which we can use to observe Francis and see if there are any activities that give us evidence that he's a successor of Peter? Pope Benedict XVI would say that the duties of a church are three. One, to proclaim the gospel. Two, to celebrate the sacraments. Three, to perform works of charity. But, but that's the church itself, of which the Pope belongs to. Rather, for the duties of the Petrarch ministry, we'll have to turn to the Gospels themselves and examine the two confessions that Peter made about himself and the one confession that Jesus made about Peter um, to discover what are his duties. I, I think the confession is really the best place to begin our scientific method 
Because the beauty of the nature of confession is that the confession naturally binds us to perform what we are confessing, what we are proposing. That is, a confession is always associated with the duty to perform that which we are confessing. For example, a man who confesses he loves his wife is thereby bound to the works of love and thereby we would find in his activities evidence to affirm whether he truly loves his wife or not. A person who confesses the creed at the Catholic Mass is thereby bound to behave in a way that gives evidence to what he or she believes. For example, if one confesses they believe in God the Father Almighty, uh, well, we should find evidence. We should be able to see that they are not in idolatry and have other gods above God. So the confession is the best way and really the only way we have to find in the life of Peter what the duties of the Pope are. Those three duties are based upon the three confessions are as follows. First, Peter confesses to Christ that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, to which Christ told us Peter's duty. He says, bless you are Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly father. Then Jesus sets him apart by giving him a new name that is tied to a new mission. You are Kepa. And upon this Kepa, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. As a sign of his authority and his new mission, he's given keys to access the kingdom of God so that whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loose on earth is loose in heaven. From this first confession of Peter that Jesus blessed, we can objectively state that the first duty of the successor of Peter in this set apart ministry is to be guided by what God has revealed. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. That is, guided by the truth, the dogma of the faith. The second confession of Peter, made by himself, he made three times, in which um, Jesus gave him a duty each time. He was asked by Jesus three times, do you agape me? Do you love me, Peter, in a divine way? To which Peter confessed to him three times, I phileo you, Jesus. I love you in a brotherly way. To which Jesus responded, pastor my lambs. Then he said, pastor my sheep. And then he said, shepherd my sheep. That is, uh, the call to love Christ came with the duty to serve those who God loves. To be servant, slave, and friend to all those created in the image and likeness of God. That's the second duty of the Pope. Servant and slave, friend. Uh, that's the second duty. The third duty is uh, not one that Peter said about himself, but one Jesus made about him. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to shift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed that your own faith may not fail. I have prayed that your own faith may not fail. And once you have turned back, you must strengthen your brothers. What Peter said after that doesn't matter. Jesus' confession suffices, suffices on its own. For the Lord said he prayed that Peter's faith won't fail. And we know that his prayers are always answered because he himself is the Lamb of God. So the third duty of the Pope is to be a source of unity. And this duty is uncompromising because, again, Christ prayed that it would be. So it is. No successor Peter can be a source of division because of lack of faith. Because it is impossible unless you believe that the prayers of Jesus go unanswered. So, 
These are the three activities of the thing that we are observing. For those who have been with me since the beginning, you might uh, remember, you know, I talked about this before, I wrote about this before in my book, Cooperating with God, Life with the Cross, that I wrote way back in 2012. And then when I was in grad school later, I, I, I turned that topic into a paper for some class. And I'll post a link for you to read it. So not new stuff here, but it's the first time I'm applying these activities to Francis uh, to discover through this method. Uh, whether he's a, um, the duly elected Pope and a successor Peter, or he's the duly elected Pope and not the successor Peter. And there's really no other options because, um, uh, simply because that third confession. So, has Pope Francis been a source of unity for his brother bishops? I'm not going to answer that question for you, but I want you to think about it. Has he united the church or divided it? Has he brought unity or made a mess? Look at all his actions since 2013, and what evidence do we have that Jesus' prayer, that his faith won't fail, so that he always turns back to strengthen his brothers, is active? Is there warring factions in the church? Perhaps there always were. But is the Pope a source of healing or a source of further schism? This activity being a source of unity through faith is so central to the Petri ministry that if the thing cannot um, tell us what it is here, then we can stop at the other tests. Because again, the, the prayer of Jesus never fails. But we must also be considerate of time. If Francis is a successor of Peter, his ministry um, might be latent, late to develop. Benedict XVI, still being alive, might have something to do with it. If we, if, if a person cannot advocate for the ministry, and there can be only one person occupying it, we don't know. The second duty: Has Francis passed through the lambs? Has he passed through the sheep? Has he fed the sheep? Has he been friend, servant, slave to the children of God? Again, has he led or has he made a mess? A shepherd gathers, not scatters. I don't think this is a hard one uh, to figure out either, but I'll let you think about it. Let me know what you think. And the first duty, to be guided by the truth. Be guided by what God has revealed. Guided by the unchangeable dogma. And I'm not talking about the things we can disagree with here, but the things we cannot. If you need any help answering this question, you can go to the website called Francis Quotes. FrancisQuotes.com or go to the W questionnaire that is still unanswered and tell me what you think. Has he fulfilled the first duty to be guided by the dogma? The question is not whether the, the, the majority of cardinal electors elected him. The question is if Christ has chosen him to be the successor of Peter. And to answer those questions, we are simply and scientifically observing the object, looking at his activities for the last eight years and answering the questions. If the thing is what it proposes to be. Now, if Francis is some sort of just administrator pope eh, and not the successor of Peter, then that means that either the seat is vacant. And again, that's fine. We, we've had a vacant seat. Or it means that the successor is still Benedict the 16th. And for Benedict the 16th, again, we can look at his activities and see if there's evidence. And I think there clearly is. I think both of Benedict the Sixteenth and, and John Paul Saint John Paul II. But let me know what you think. And as always, I'm looking forward to your comments 
below. Make sure you click subscribe, like, and share, and I'll see you next time. But until then, and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Hi everybody, thank you for watching. Subscribe here to get the latest from the show. Also be sure to check out the content you've missed. If you'd like to keep supporting my work, consider joining my team on Patreon, where you'll be gifted great perks like books, hoodies, and mugs. Thanks again.